Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, my name is Kara Goray, and I'm here with Andrew Drozdowski. We're both attorneys in Ogletree's Business Immigration Practice Group. And on this Ogletree Immigration Podcast, we're going to provide an overview of the H-1B CAP registration process and explain how it works, including providing some helpful pointers to prepare for what's sure to be a busy few next months. Isn't it a little early? CAP season is in April. True. April is when the annual H-1B lottery is held, but employers may wish to start the process of preparing for CAP now. There is a fairly involved online registration process, which employers need to start before they are even able to file a new quota subject H-1B petition. That's a good point. Maybe we could do a CAP recap on the registration process for our listeners. I think that would be helpful. Employers really should be thinking about the registration process now. Well, let's jump right into our recap then. So H-1B cap. I know what it is, and you know what it is, but for someone who is not as familiar with business immigration, what is the H-1B cap? Generally speaking, the H-1B quota, or cap, is for professional foreign national workers in specialty occupations who, for the most part, have never held an H-1B work visa in the United States before. The vast majority of new H-1B visas are subject to an annual quota or cap. And there's a lottery connected with this quota or cap, right? Exactly. In most years, the H-1B cap is met immediately due to high demand, which triggers a lottery. Andrew, we should note that this is only for new H-1B visas. So if an employee already has an approved H-1B petition that was subject to the cap in prior years and has time remaining on that H-1B visa, this process doesn't apply to them. Correct. It does not. The yearly cap of new H-1B visas is 65000 for individuals who have at least a bachelor's degree or a foreign equivalent. There are an additional 20,000 H-1Bs available for individuals who possess a master's degree or higher from a U.S. academic institution, the master's cap, if you will. Could you explain how eligibility for bachelor's or master's works based on degree? If someone receives his or her master's degree from a U.S. school before the H-1B filing window closes, normally in June, then they are eligible for the master's cap. To note, the same is true for the bachelor's cap. Someone needs to hold a bachelor's degree or equivalent before the filing window closes in order to qualify. It is important to note that while the H-1B registration and the lottery are held in early March each year, and the filing window normally runs from April to June, H-1B cap visas have an earliest available start date of October 1st, start of the new fiscal year. Now, there are some CAP-exempt institutions that can file these H-1B petitions all year round, though. Right. 
H-1B employees of many nonprofit U.S. universities, their affiliated, affiliated research institutions, and certain nonprofits, which are primarily engaged in research, may be exempt from the annual cap and its numerical limitations. Now, back to the numbers. How would you describe, Andrew, the way the government determines who gets this limited amount of H-1B visa petitions? It's not a decision. As I started to mention, USCIS normally conducts a random lottery based on the numbers of H-1B registrations that they receive. So there's a lottery and a registration period. Right. Actually, the registration process begins before the lottery in early March each year. Once employers submit all of their H-1B cap registrations, which are basically just the names and some very preliminary information about the employees they intend to nominate, the government holds a lottery if the registration numbers exceed the quota. The lottery happens at the end of the registration period, which is normally at the end of March. So let's talk about that registration period. What might employers want to know about the cap registration period? I would say the most important thing is first to identify the employees and candidates who they would like to sponsor for an H-1B visa. Of course, that's very much a business decision for management and HR to determine, but employers would do well to be prepared with a clear list of employees at the end of the calendar year or very early in Andrew, could you explain how the mechanics of this registration process work? First, employers are going to go to the USCIS website to create an account. It's not a particularly complex process to create the account, but their immigration attorney can help them with this. And this is all electronic. All electronic. Let's say that I'm an employer and I've made an account. Then what happens after that? Then there's a period of time in early March when you're allowed to register potential applicants online. These are the employees and candidates identified earlier as needing an H-1B visa. Employers may want to collect some basic information about each of these applicants internally to prepare for the registration period. USCIS has a process where it allows attorneys to draft, review, and submit registrations online. With an additional handoff and layer of review, for employers to approve them before they are officially submitted. So at the end of that registration period, it closes and USCIS then runs the lottery. Yes, then USCIS runs the lottery. Now, earlier you mentioned there was a total of 85,000 visas available, split into U.S. master's degree holders and then everyone else in the regular cap who has a bachelor's or equivalent. Could you just elaborate on how that works? Well, first, USCIS runs the lottery on the general applicant pool to select enough applicants needed to meet the regular cap quota. Then they run the master's cap lottery with any leftover U.S. master's potential applicants who may not have been selected in the initial regular lottery. Meaning, if you have an applicant with a U.S. master's degree, they have two chances at the lottery and a higher probability of being accepted. So how will we know if they are accepted? Well, USCIS doesn't make the lottery process completely transparent, but once the lottery is completed in late March, USCIS provides an electronic notice online for all registrants who have been selected. 
what do employers do if they have employees that have been selected? If an employer receives a selection notice for a given registrant, they must file an H-1B petition for the selected beneficiary during the 90-day filing window, which normally runs from April through the end of June. How about those employees that are not selected? How do we find out about them? This can get a bit confusing and uncertain, but if an applicant is not selected, their online status will still show as submitted. This means that they did not necessarily miss out on the lottery entirely. Rather, USCIS holds all unselected registrations in a submitted status in the event that they need to run a second lottery to meet the annual quota. In recent years, USCIS has needed to conduct at least two lotteries to meet the quota. So employers will want to continue to monitor unselected registrations until USCIS notifies everyone that the quota has been met. How about those folks who aren't selected? Can we try the lottery for them again next year? Absolutely. If someone is not selected in the lottery, an employer may register them again for the following fiscal year's cap. So now, Andrew, let's talk about preparing for the H-1B cap registration period. What are some things that employers may want to consider regarding preparation? For one, employers may want to identify their workforce. See who might be in need of an H-1B visa. That includes current employees who are in the United States in another visa status, such as F-1 or L-1. Employers may also want, also want to carefully review folks who are working here on an EAD card and new hires. New hires like recent bachelor's or master's graduates? Right. This is especially true if an employer recruits at universities. Although F-1 students normally have some period of work authorization on their EADs and STEM extensions, employers may need to work closely with Immigration Council to maximize their chances at filing an H-1B cap case since, of course, there is a lottery process involved, as we mentioned earlier. Andrew, can U.S. employers register an employee who's working at an affiliate abroad? Provided the company has a business that is an employer in the United States and they have identified a candidate with at least a bachelor's degree for a specialty occupation position, yes. When we talk about identifying an employer's workforce, that also includes any employees who work at a foreign affiliate or subsidiary who the employer might want to employ here in the United States. You mentioned specialty occupation. What roles qualify as specialty occupation? Well, basically, a specialty occupation requires one, a bachelor's degree or its equivalent, and two, the employee must hold the bachelor's degree or equivalent in a related field. So let's say that I have an employee that qualifies for an H-1B and they're accepted in the lottery. What then? Then they would file an H-1B petition with USCIS. Is there anything that an employer might want to be aware of when filing that petition with USCIS? There are several other considerations an employer faces when filing an H-1B petition. We're almost out of time on this podcast. But employers may need to be aware that H-1Bs are job-specific, work location, and employer-specific. There is also a prevailing wage component to ensure that H-1B salaries do not adversely affect the U.S. workforce. Further, H-1B visa holders have a six-year maximum period of stay in the United States, 
which can only be extended if certain green card benchmarks are met. Well, thank you for that recap, Andrew. It's pretty clear that the H-1B cap registration process is really just the first step in a long journey. Hopefully for our listeners, this has been an informative glance at the H-1B cap registration process and provided employers with some things that they may want to consider as we prepare for a busy upcoming H-1B cap season. My pleasure. Thank you, Kara. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.